This episode of the RPG Academy is sponsored by Battle Bards, epic fantasy audio for tabletop RPGs. Check them out right now on Kickstarter and at BattleBards.com. Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? Just great, Michael. And how are you doing, uh, Mr. Just Got Back from CincyCon? I'm doing really well, uh, and that's a big part of it. I uh, I went to CincyCon for the first time ever. It's a local con here, really right next to my house. It was like a 10-minute drive. It was kind of crazy, and uh, had, a, had a lot of fun. I uh, had a lot of cool stuff I want to share. We're going to get into that a little bit as well. So uh, I'm riding high right now, man, feeling good. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's not a catacon. Don't get me wrong. A catacon's going to be more awesome than CincyCon. Sorry, Jim. Uh, but... It uh it was still a fun time. I got to I got to play some games. I got to do some cool stuff. I got to meet some cool people, and did a little bit of networking for Catacon. So I would say it was a very successful con for Michael. Wonderful. Always good. Glad to hear when we can get out, uh, play some games in the real world instead of just over the computer, and uh, meet some listeners and make some new friends. Absolutely. And a lot of the people that I played with in particular were brand new or very new. Uh, one one in particular, a story I'll share in a little bit, was a guy who has never played 5th edition before. He almost didn't get to, but I came in riding a white horse, wearing a white hat like a hero I am, and I ran a game for him, and uh, he really liked it. So that, that was probably why it's the highlight of my con. But we have some other con news. I bet you thought I was going to talk about a catacon. I'm not. The next convention in our sort of uh, program guide would be GeeklyCon. Which uh, our friend Caleb G is going to be going to. You getting excited about that, sir? Oh, I am always excited about that. It's what I'm looking forward to the most after, of course, a catacon. Oh, of course, after a catacon. Uh, so GeeklyCon is early in June. Originally, I was scheduled to go to that as well. But uh, with me changing jobs, that messed up some vacation availability issues. And uh, I was unable to go. Travis uh, from My Games is actually has my ticket. I worked that out with Geekly. They know about it. It's fine. Uh, so he hopefully will be there. And uh, we'll get to hang out with you and some other people. He's looking forward to that. And I ex- fully expect you to do some networking there as well, right? You're going to hand out cards and sell a catacon. Eh, no. I think I'll just downplay the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, play it cool, right? Play it cool. Always got to play it cool. You never want to promote yourself too much. I mean, there's a line you can't cross. Wait, are you sure about that? <laughs> I don't think I've ever got that lesson. You just ignore that line and walk right over it. That is that is right. That line does not exist for me. So anyway, enough of this chitter-chatter. We need to get into tonight's episode. So this is going to be Table Topics, episode number 78, Recap, Races, and the Return of Backgrounds. But before we get started, we're going to take our normal step back to make sure that everyone knows what we're doing here and why we're doing it. Caleb and I like to use these table topics to share information, uh, some of the experiences that we have gleaned from our many years of playing RPG tabletop games, but we know that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not be applicable at every table, every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal, and Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you are doing it right. That is correct, sir. That is our motto here at the RPG Academy. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. So no matter what game you're playing, what system, what edition, or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So with that, we will get into tonight's topic. And now I'm going to talk about a catacon. You you thought you were going to get away from it, but no, it's not going to happen. We're going to talk about a catacon. So I've already announced this on Twitter and Facebook, but I know not everyone follows us there. Caleb, we have some pretty exciting news for, maybe for a change, uh, some actual exciting news about a catacon. Would you like to share with our audience who our first two confirmed special guests are going to be? Absolutely. We are 
happy, pleased, and very excited to announce that uh, the first two special guests at a catacon will be Mr. Robert Schwalb and Mr. James D'Amato. That is correct. So the gentleman who we've had on the podcast recently who just had the very successful Shadow of the Demon Lord Kickstarter is going to be at our con and he's going to be running some games of Shadow of the Demon Lord for us. So at this point, if everything else collapses and it's just you, me, and him, I'm okay with that because that's going to be a fun time. But on top of that, we also have uh, James D'Amato from the One Shot Podcast, one of our favorite podcasts, and uh, uh, Kat is uh, a maybe, and we're hoping that that will work out as well, but James has committed that he will be there. He will run some games. He hasn't set anything in stone yet as to what that will be, but we've already got some requests that perhaps a feng shui too uh, since that system has just recently came out, and uh, I know his episodes of that on his on his podcast were very very popular. I also uh, listened to an actual play he did of uh, it was basically like Flight of the Robins. It's a Shadowrun game where you play all the different versions of Robin and Batman's missing. Was pretty awesome, uh, and maybe and everyone is John. You know, you know again, no, no commitments at this point, but just some suggestions. So that is all the big Acaticon news that we have. We are working on several other special guests. Uh, the hints, if you've if you've heard them on our episode, we've probably asked them <laughs> to to be there. And surprisingly, no one's told us to go f ourselves yet. So uh, so we have some other possible people that might be showing up. Uh, but we're very ecstatic to have Rob and James joining us. Um, and again, November thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth. Uh, the Kickstarter is set to go live early September. Okay, anything else from you, Caleb? Any news or announcements before we uh, move into our uh, CincyCon recap? No, I think we should forge right ahead and uh, have you tell us about your CincyCon experiences. Uh, will do. Uh, please jump in as appropriate to ask some questions or to clarify, because as we know, if you don't, I will just keep talking forever. So CincyCon is, it is primarily a miniatures convention. At least that's the feeling that I got uh, today. And when we had Jim on the podcast, he sort of mentioned that that was its uh, foundation. That's where it would kind of birth from. And I did feel that. And that's not to say it's a negative, but for me personally, it was a little bit because, you know, I'm more of a role player than anything else. And, um, and I would like to have seen more role-playing events there and perhaps with uh, continued sponsorship from us and continued uh, attendance by us that might help grow that as well uh, but with that I still had had some fun times one of the games I got to play uh, it's a uh, a local writer he wrote his own game it was called Cold Steel uh, Wardens it's an RPG based off of Iron Age comic books and uh, we ran it was a really short scenario just like a little hostage situation let us figure out how the rules work I'm not a crunchy guy, but I thought the mechanics were simple. They worked very well, and they were a lot of fun. Like, we we had a blast playing that game. You felt like you were a superhero, but you weren't so powerful that uh, it wasn't fun, which is the kind of the balance that you run with superhero games. You know, it's all about the challenge that you present the players. So I really, really liked it. If you're a fan of the Watchmen comic book or the movie, that's sort of the idea that he was going for with that game. In my little play test, I can't say whether he got there or not, but I will say I was very happy with it. I, I hope to have him on the podcast in the future uh, as a guest and possibly as a the trial of that game uh, to get it a little bit more exposure. And he is running a four-hour scenario at Gen Con, and that, uh, that has definitely got on my short list of things that I want to do. Cool. That sounds really exciting. Uh, I am a huge Watchmen fan uh, when it comes to the comic books. And I will absolutely defend that movie with my dying breath about how great it was. Uh, so I am very excited to hopefully have him on our show so we can talk to him about the game and uh, give me a chance to experience it because I was not able to make it with you to CincyCon. We disagree on Arrow. I will agree with you. I actually thought the Watchmen movie was quite good. Uh, and I thought that a lot of the criticisms people laid at it were unfair. But that is not what we're here to talk about. We also, um, I got to meet, uh, made a new friend this weekend named Jason, and he runs the Cincinnati Adventurers Guild Meetup. He and I, we've talked many, many times over Meetup, but they usually do their events on Friday, and as the people who game with me know, Fridays are usually off limits for gaming. Uh, so I've never really got to go to any of their events, so we had a chance over CincyCon. He and I played in several games together. Great guy. Um, he is now committed that he will also come to a Catacon and run some games for us. I got to play in a Cthulhu game 
that he ran. It was a, um, I don't know. It was I don't know if it's a homebrew system or where he came up with it, but it was a one-page rule system for Cthulhu. The first rule was if you fight, you die. Everything if you you roll to run or hide, and uh, and that came to fruition. Two of our characters at the very end. Just it, it was a role play. It was in the game, so we knew it was going to happen. But two of us, literally, we just said, "Okay, I'm going to do this." He goes, "Okay, you die." Then he explained how the tendrils reached out from the darkness and then ripped us apart. That is absolutely correct and fitting for a Cthulhu system. So uh, I approve. Yep. So that was a lot of fun. He ran that for us, and then uh, probably the other uh, other oh, actually two big things. One was the dread game. So. Uh, um, I've talked about I want to run a Dread game. We have one of our special events for Catacon, got to go back to that, is you are committed to running a midnight Dread game, and assuming the weather cooperates, we're going to actually build a bonfire or a campfire of sorts outside at the, uh, the the lodge and do a midnight outside Dread game, which I think is going to be amazing. And paramedics will be standing by because <laughs> hopefully <laughs> someone's going to fail a sanity check. Well, I'm a bit of a pyromaniac, so trust me, I will get a fire going, and it will be awesome. Uh, so that's one of the events that we're looking forward to. And again, Alex from Battle Bards has committed his help, if you uh, can reach out to him, to make sure that we have some music to go along with that as well. Uh, so that's going to be an awesome game that we're going to do. But I wanted to run Dread, and of course I put the Michael twist on it. So there were aliens, is what you're saying? No, there were no aliens. But... Uh, it was a, probably a different experience from anyone else who's played Dread, at least by the normal rules. I thought it was very. I thought it was a great successful test. I, I definitely can make it better. I do plan on trying to run it again at Gen Con, and I will run it differently because of the feedback that I got. Uh, but essentially, the way this worked is the characters, they played themselves. I should say the players played themselves. Uh, so we were the typical, you're at the table, you're at SensiCon, and then bam, there's a flash of light, and you wake up. Except they woke up inhabiting the dead bodies of fallen heroes that were straight out of a D&D game. So then I had them roll on a random chart, and one of them was an elf barbarian, one of them was a dwarf cleric, and one of them was a dwarf wizard. And then what happened is as they were trying to discover their powers, they had to pull a brick. So they actually were able to fight a little bit more than you normally would in a Dread game because, like, they tried to cast Magic Missile, they pulled a brick. They pulled the brick, they were able to cast Magic Missile, and they defeated the Goblin. Uh, at one point, the fighter got injured. So what I said that he had to pull two bricks for everything to compensate for that until the cleric could get around to heal him. And even things that I normally wouldn't make him pull a brick for, he had to pull a brick anyways because of the injury. Uh, there also was a win condition in this game rather than most red games where the they were able to get back home and get back to their original bodies by climbing to the top of a tower and reactivating an astrolabe uh which worked out pretty well at the very it, it actually worked out very well at the end uh there were some statues that had come to life and were about to attack them so the last person that went i had him pull a brick for each of the other characters and as he pulled a brick that person got to go home and the tower was very, very wobbly, so he had to choose who he wanted to go home first. He had the option to choose himself. That means he would have got to go home, but the other gods would have been screwed because the statues would have killed him. Uh, and then we had a heroic death at the end where one character sacrificed themselves so that everyone else could go home. It was pretty awesome. That is actually a really great adaptation of the core Dread rules. And uh, I'm, I'm impressed that you came up with that. That's, that's really cool. I have my moments. From time to time. From time to time. Uh, so the thing that I will change most is I started them out in too big of an open area. I should have funneled them more because we did have a separation of the party because everybody was trying to role play themselves in the situation. So a couple people were like, I'm going to run. I'm not fighting goblins. That's stupid. I'm And so literally within five minutes, I had three characters in three different places and I had to do some heavy railroady GM stuff to get them back together. Uh, so I think what we will do, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm basically going to change it where the characters will be more likely to have to stay together and, and the danger will, will be a little bit more ever-present. But it's still a D&D &D dread mashup, and I was very happy with how it turned out. Well, I think the most important thing to remember about the dread game is that you have to put your players in a very 
tightly contained world. Uh, just like any good That's ho- what I did not do. Yeah, just like any good horror movie, something has to keep the victims together. And in Dread, it's really easy to let them take over that part of it. But you have to remember as a Dread GM that you need to forcibly create that very tight, cramped, dangerous atmosphere. But that's a, that's a really good thing that you recognize in the notes uh, for next time. And I, I think that maybe should make an occurrence at a catacon. Very likely, uh, very likely will. The uh, the other note that I got, uh, or just the other comment that I would make, is that I felt that the tower got very wobbly much, much earlier than I anticipated. And I don't know if I was just playing with some janky Jenga sets and or if I had the players were just bad at it. But I was like five minutes in, and that tower's about to fall. And I really thought it was going to take longer than that. So that was the other thing, is I may have had them pull too early. I, it didn't feel like it was too early. Like it, I thought each of the pulls felt right at the time, but I felt like the tower got wobbly way too quick for a game that should have lasted three hours. We had our first fall at like 45 minutes. Sounds like you may have just had some bad Jenga players. Yeah, well, and they kept saying that I had a janky Jenga tower. So it's an official one. It's not some Big Lots brand. It's a, it says Jenga on the blocks, but maybe they're right, or maybe the table it was on was a little wonky. Uh, so we'll have to look at that. It wasn't the uh, the off-brand stack wooden block till they fall game? No, no, it actually says Jenga. I paid the extra $3 for the brand name. All right, well, if you, that if you pay those extra dollars, you expect the quality. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so my other favorite uh, event was today uh, we had um, we had signed up for a fifth edition elemental evil game and uh, the GM just didn't show up. The M didn't show up. We were sitting there. It was me and my buddy Jared, who you've heard on the podcast a couple times and just one other guy who was there and we were just chatting with him waiting for the DM to show up. He, he's a role player, but he'd never played fifth edition. He was super excited about it. He, he was going through making all the pre-gens and he just kept talking about how he's heard so many good things. And the, G- and the DM just never showed up. And I looked at Jared. And I was like, well, you know, what do you want to do? And we started looking at for maybe another game we'd get in. And I was like, screw it. I'll run something. So I decided to run my uh, the, the first session that we've already play tested the one time. We're going to play test again this week for our, our module. It, it only took like an hour and a half. They already had pre-gens. But I'm telling you, I was laughing. If they had half as much fun as I did, then that might have been their best events at the con too, because I can't tell you how much I was laughing. And, and both of them did a fantastic job role playing. They basically were the barbarian twins. They both played Goliath fighters. Uh, they both had an intelligence of eight, but one of them thought the other brother was a genius because he was the favorite of the parents. So he kept trying to do everything to make sure that his brother succeeded and got the credit for everything. But the other guy was just as big of an idiot. Uh, so there was some just outstanding role playing going on. That sounds awesome. Uh, so not only did you get to help a fellow gamer experience 5th edition, uh, but you got to play around with our uh, module that we're testing out. And it's always great when you can have some of those really cool, organic, hilarious role-playing moments. Yeah, I, again, I, and I told them that, you know, if you make me laugh, that's the easiest way to get inspiration. And I was giving those things out like uh, like Skittles. I mean, it was just... Here you go, here you go, here you go, because I was just laughing so much. The other thing, and you know, I'll have a chance if you have any questions, I can try to t- touch on some things. Uh, that despite my experience of running games and you know the podcast that we've been doing for a long time, I've never actually ran a con game before. Like that's just something that I've I've never done. I've never sat down with strangers and ran a game. And in this case, it was like half and half because both of the games I ran, I had at least one person there that I knew that was from my gaming group or from my sort of ancillary gaming groups. But I feel like now after doing that, I have so much more confidence that come Gen Con or come Akatacon that I'm going to be ready to do that. So I'm very glad for nothing else that I have um, broken the seal and uh, I'm ready to go. I think I can now be a much better GM overall and specifically when it comes to cons. Well, I think that speaks to something we say uh, quite frequently on the show, that it's all about experience and practice, that we are still learning ourselves. We've been doing this for years and years and years, but uh, we are still learning. We are still developing as GMs. Um, 
both Michael and I have been spending the last couple years pushing ourselves to develop that improv GM style. And I think that's really important for con games. So being able to dip your foot into the water of running for strangers at a con and reacting to the give and take of these people's styles that you're not used to is really, really good. So I'm glad you were able to experience that. And uh, I look forward to more stories of success with uh, the rest of the cons that you'll be going to this year. Uh, absolutely. And uh, Joe, if you're listening, which you said you would be, I'm holding you to that. I hope you had fun and uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and good luck on the move to Kansas City. So unfortunately, Joe will not be at a Catacon. Uh, he will be in Kansas City in November. So that is enough for CincyCon, unless you have any specific questions. I know I chatted with you a little bit, so I might be living out some of the details. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about for CincyCon? No, I think uh, you gave us a nice little taste of what CincyCon was. And if any of our listeners uh, want to go back and get any of the details so they can uh, gear up for next year at CincyCon, uh, they can go back and listen to our previous episode where we talked to one of the lead developers and uh runners of CincyCon. Um, but I think since you mentioned Elemental Evil in that story about CincyCon, we should probably transition over into talking about it ourselves. Yeah, this is a topic that we had gotten a request for, and that was to talk about the new races that are available through the Elemental Evil companion guide. So if you buy the Princes of the Apocalypse module, that there are all, there are new player races that are available through that module, and there's also the free companion. So you, I think you can download it from Wizards. I got my copy from Drive Through RPG. It's it's a free PDF that that gives you some of the information that you would need if you don't necessarily want to buy the book. Uh, there's also they did the Unearth Arcana. The first one of those had the Warforged in them, and I think maybe one other race that's now not considered core. And uh, some people just wanted to get our take on those races and, uh, and our thoughts. So I'm going to turn this mostly over to our Crunchmaster, Caleb. Uh, one, because I've been talking a whole lot. And two, here's a little, maybe a shameful, dirty secret. I'm not a fan, across the board, of non-core races. I don't particularly like them. I often will just veto and not let people play them because I don't think they fit in very well with the style of game that I want to run, which is probably just a psychosis thing for me. But the the type of game that you're playing in where you have an elf, a dwarf, a centaur, a warforged, a tiefling, an arakra, or however the hell you say the flying bird people, a genasi, and a human sitting around a table, that says a lot about the world that you're playing in. And for me... I think most people, and that's a broad generality, I get that, but I think most people, when they choose one of those races, it's not because of the flavor, it's because of the crunch. And they want, well, I know a Goliath will be the best barbarian, so I'm going to pick a Goliath barbarian. Rather than, I think a Goliath is an interesting character type to play because of how they deal with honor and their place among the tribes and and whatever else. So I'm not a fan of those. So I'm going to turn it over to our crunch master for a little bit more of maybe a, a, a review as how they would work versus should they be allowed to be in the game. Well, that is certainly a very interesting opinion from our fluff master supreme over there. Um, that just shows that I'm a three-dimensional person with flaws and inconsistencies. Who also has incredibly specific opinions who you have just generalized to everyone else, even though I don't think that is true. But that's okay. Uh, we are non-judgmental here at the RPG Academy table. I-, I will agree that sometimes it's fun to pick a specific race class combo just to get a really cool benefit or be able to do something really cool in the game. I've done that plenty of times with old 3.5 and Pathfinder rules because you could exploit that a little bit easier. But I was always the point uh, or always the type of player to then come up with a good backstory to fit that decision. So I I think it's very easy to bridge the gap between those two extremes that Michael just mentioned there. But he certainly has a valid point, and if he wants to run his table that way, that's fine. But for the rest of you, if you want to have fun, you can come to my table where I don't give a shit what you play because we're going to have an awesome game. Well, to that point, I played a game today with two Goliath Barbarian brothers, and it was 
awesome. Well, I'm, but it was a one shot. I'm very glad you just contradicted yourself. Again, I'm a third dimensional person with flaws and inconsistencies. Yes, yes, you are. Uh, so jumping in to the player's companion for Elemental Evil, this free PDF essentially gives us three technically new races and one new sub race. But sub-races are pretty much races in and of themselves, so it's a pretty fine line to talk about there. In general, I really like this expansion for Elemental Evil. I like the races, and I really like all the spells at the end. Um, they're an, a nice addition to casters of all classes that they apply to. Uh, they're pretty cool. So for the races that we have here, we have an Arakakra, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. So if you want to write in Care of RPG Academy, feel free. If not, then I don't care. They are a, a race of bird people. Bird man! That's pretty much exactly what they are. They're uh, bipedal humanoids with bird faces and talons and giant ass wings, uh, but they still have regular humanoid body type so for wearing armor and, and fighting and stuff. We have uh, the Deep Gnome, which is a sub-race, technically, for the gnomes that already exist. We've got uh, the Gensai, which are the elementally uh, infused humanoids. Uh, and then we have the Goliaths, who are the mountain folk. Not really quite giants, but not really quite regular humans either. The deep gnomes were kind of the my least favorite of the four, mostly because I don't usually like to play gnomes. But they are a pretty cool character concept uh, if you wanted to invoke that type of mountainous or underground character. They've got some pretty good uh, race abilities um, with superior dark vision uh, and stone camouflage. Gnome cunning is pretty cool in that you have advantage on all mental stat saving throws versus magic. So there's definitely some mechanical benefits to playing a deep gnome. Uh, and of course, I think story with them is most important. Why are you playing this race? Or is your game completely underground? Uh, is this the gnome that was sent to the surface to do some specific task? Was he exiled? Lots of different options and choices and flavor for bringing one of these guys to the table. I'm really kind of tied between my favorites between the Goliath and between the Arakakra. Um, I really like both of them for their raw mechanical options as well as their story options. Goliaths are just really cool characters. I know they existed in older editions, but I think they really came to the forefront in 4th edition. That's when most people learned about them and knew what they were. But they certainly existed in the 3-5 Pathfinder era that I came from. They're, they're mountain people who survive at high altitudes. They're very uh, rough and tumble, living by their wits and survival skills in the, the harsh, cold mountain environment. Uh, and they're also a race that is incredibly bound by honor and family ties. So they are fiercely loyal to their own clans, but they also have a very strong sense of survival. Uh, specifically in uh, this player's companion for Elemental Evil, there's a, a little chunk of flavor that uh, every every Goliath in a clan has to pull his or her own weight, has his or her own assigned tasks and jobs, and if that person fails to uh, complete them or gets injured or might not be able to complete them for whatever reason, there's the question of whether or not they belong in the tribe anymore. Uh, so that would be something really interesting to play with at the table. And, and I agree there that if you're going to play a Goliath, that is an interesting story as why are you not with your clan? So it's very likely that if you're out adventuring, then you were someone that was seen as not worthy or couldn't pull their own weight. Either the tribe kicked you out or you removed yourself for some reason. So I could see myself playing like a a paralyzed Goliath, maybe like maybe like they have a broken legs, so they walk with a limp. You know, they have to have to have a cane to get by, or maybe they're missing an arm, so they're not actually the warrior they were. That could be very interesting. 
But just playing a Goliath because they get plus two to con or whatever, that no interest to me at all. Well, they only get a plus one to con. And let's be honest, uh, fifth edition is really extremely stripped down when it comes to stat bonuses and racial abilities. Uh, so picking a race purely because of a certain bonus or certain ability doesn't, in my mind, have as much value as it did in previous editions. Certainly anyone who likes to, to use the popular term power game or look for those min-max ability bonuses and exploitable aspects of the game, you certainly still can do that with 5th edition, but I don't feel that it's as rewarding as it used to be in previous games. And I would agree with that. And and one thing I want to not clarify, because I still stand by my statement that I don't like most of the non-core races, is that it has to do with the story. And I really like the way that WotC is doing this with 5th edition, is that they give you a module that's set in a specific place, and that is where they're introducing these alternate races, because it makes sense for Goliaths and the Arakakra and the Genisi and the Deep Gnomes to be in this module because of where it's set and the activities that it contains. So if I were to run the Princes of Apocalypse, I would have no problem with someone playing one of these races because it makes sense. But when I'm playing more of a standard game or homebrew game, that's the part where I don't think those races, particularly if you allow all of them, it kind of, it just kind of creates a world that doesn't always make sense. I mean, I know it does because of, if you think about diversity, but I don't know, just something about my mind worldview that it, it violates that. So I like the way they're doing that. So I'm sure eventually they'll come out with an Eberron source book. I know they've done an Ar- Arcana, but eventually it will happen. At least they better, by God, because I love Eberron. Well, they already did. And there's going to have... Sh- I thought that was the unofficial, though. I don't think that's, like, through playtesting. Well, the... Because like that, that Arcana is like, um, take a look at this. I don't think it's official the yet. Un- Unearthed Arcana is... Uh, elements of the game that are still considered trial and beta testing, uh, but the contents of the first Unearthed Arcana were specifically for Eberron. Okay, so, so it's at some point, or in what it may, may have already happened, there's going to be a shapeshifter, there's going to be, uh, was it the Changelings, Warforged, and when those come out, they're going to make sense if you're playing an Eberron. I don't know that it makes sense to play those in a game that's not Eberron. Again, that's my opinion, 100%. I'm not saying you should or should not do it. As we always say, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And if you have fun playing that way, then do it. But I like the way Watsi is doing it right now by bringing them out. I don't want a player's handbook too with 10 new races. I like the idea of them bringing out modules that those races are included and then they're available. If someone does want to do a, a homebrew race and they want to throw everything in or they just want to have a whole game of nothing but a Goliaths, I like that it's out there, but it's not core. So what we've just established here is that Michael is uh, the dad in the Lego movie and I'm the kid because I like mixing everything together and letting anyone do whatever they want as long as the story makes sense. I'm a three-dimensional character with flaws and inconsistencies. Yep. Maybe we should maybe we should name maybe we should name the show that Michael has <laughs> a three-dimensional character with flaws and inconsistencies. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. Okay. Uh, so I was talking about Goliaths before we went off on that tangent there. Um, yes, it, they Goliaths, with their backstory, it makes the most sense for them to be in this specific area, or at least in a similar mountain-type, somewhat isolated setting that is heavily uh, dependent upon your physical skill for survival. Playing a Goliath outside of that area does bring up the question why they're there. Uh, as long as you answer that at your table with your player... Go for it. I don't care. But you know what? With with a race that is specifically focused on tribalism, that is a great opportunity to suggest that all of your players play a Goliath in one tribe. Uh, I, I think we're all pretty used to the trope of a party coming together where everyone is a different race uh, for party balance or for interest. Fellowship of the Ring established that trope Right, yeah, we, we'll, we'll blame that one on Tolkien. But in general, that's really something that you can have a lot of fun with. Hey guys, uh, why don't we all play Goliath for this game? Maybe it's a one-shot, just to see if people like it. Maybe it's a really short campaign. Maybe it's part of your larger campaign, and you just take a little 
couple week break and do an interlude and you explore your world or your story from another perspective and everyone's part of this tribe. Just some interesting ways you can make use of the Goliath if you're not specifically playing in the Elemental Evil style campaign. I've got to say though, from a crunchy side of things, um, Goliaths are awesome. Uh, again, I feel they have been weakened a little bit to compensate for the general power level of 5th edition, but within the confines of 5th edition, Goliaths are still really, really cool. Um, they have, in my mind, one of the coolest racial abilities, uh, Stone's Endurance, where once per short rest, you can, as a reaction, roll a d12, add your con modifier, and reduce the damage you have taken from an attack by that amount. Uh, that's really, really cool. Very useful. So the power gamer in me wants to play the Goliath just for that ability. Uh, but I like the story of, of playing a Goliath. Plus, if I remember correctly, one of the horrible, horrible, horrible Dungeons & Dragons movies we suffered through uh, for our movie nights last year featured a Goliath. Yeah, that was the third one in the Evil Guy campaign, um, which was actually the best of the three not saying much and yeah he was a goliath that didn't get to do much yep he, he was just there to do things so we've got the gensai in uh in this supplement as well the gensai are pretty cool in that they are humanoids who are mixed in their racial history and background with one of the four elemental planes uh now whether that came from being blended with a, a djinn or a genie or it was some spell there's all kinds of ways you could explain that and flavor it out uh, but basically there's four sub races one for each of the elemental planes uh, earth air fire and water uh, and they each have their own cool little flavor abilities that evoke the essence of that plane since this whole campaign is focused on elemental themes. You could do some really fun things with these guys. And since I am a advocate of bringing races to wherever you want, uh, these would be pretty cool to mix into any other story. You know, maybe they're merchants traveling around. Maybe they come from the actual pl elemental plane itself. They're the only ones who can run missions back and forth to the plane of fire or the earth plane. Um, maybe they've been banished for some reason. Maybe they have amnesia. I mean, if you wanted to get really, really creative with a race, you could have uh, your player, if they're on board with it, you know, think they're an actual human, and then this racial elemental trait reveals itself over time, and they learn more about who they are and why they're there. You can do a lot of really fun stuff with unique races. And uh, the elemental guys... Again, they don't have any really crazy overpowering abilities in my mind, but they certainly have some abilities that uh, really bring about the nice flavor of their home plane that you can make use of and have a lot of fun with. And then uh, lastly, we have the Arakora, or however the hell you want to pronounce that, the bird people. In general, they fly. And that's good enough in my mind. <laughs> um, they have a full set of wings. This isn't like... Uh, they can only glide or something like that, like uh, some races back in Pathfinder and 3.5 used to do. These are fully capable of flight, and they pick up a nice uh, talon attack with their bird-like feet and talon claw thingies. There's nothing crazy special about them, but they fly, and that's pretty damn good, uh, especially because they have a flying speed of 50, which is pretty nuts for a, a starting race. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would think that's a little bit overpowered and easily exploitable. It definitely is if you're playing with those types of people, but you can also have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I would I would caution you here. I just, when characters get the ability to fly, it drastically changes the types of challenges that as a DM you can you can oppose them with and keep them interesting. You know, the broken bridge across the Great Ravine, not really much of an issue anymore. But having said that, if you're going to allow someone to be one of these races, then don't put them in a situation where they just never get to use that. Like you put them in a dungeon the entire time where they can't fly. Because part of the reason people want to play that race probably is because they can fly. 
at least one point during that game, that ability should come up and should be important, and it should let them do something that's cool. Just like, you know, you don't want to take magic from the wizard where they can't ever cast spells. Maybe maybe for a small portion of a longer game, you put them in a magic-free zone just to, you know, challenge them, or maybe the fighter loses their, their particular weapon. But don't put someone that can fly in your game and then never let them fly. Oh, for sure. Um, you never really want to take away the player benefit uh, and the fun of the choice that they have made permanently because then you've just eliminated their fun in choosing that race or that class. And that's might be, you might think that's fun, you might think that's challenging, but if your player's not having fun, then we're kind of violating that core foundational rule here at the at the academy where we want everyone to have fun. So definitely reward your players, present them challenges, sure, but you know, don't take away something that uh, that is really fun or unique to them. Right, and think of it like in a movie. If uh, if this was an action movie and the bad guy's minions have to go back to the castle and speak to the evil baron, and they're like, it wasn't our fault they got away. They had some dude that could fly. Well, the next encounter, they're probably going to have compensated for that, and they're going to have uh, special weapons that are, you know, nets that are casted or something like that to try to try to target him. That's fine. If your characters come up with some sort of situation that gives them a great advantage, expect the world to react to that. That's just good storytelling. But don't just punish them and keep that from them either. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with you there, Michael. And specifically for the flavor of playing an Arakora, it does say that they come from a uh, a non-material plane, usually the elemental plane of air. Uh, so there's a lot of flavor in there about how they exist and live in their own plane and the difficulties they face when coming over to the normal material plane uh, that D&D happens in. So just like the Goliaths, these guys work best in their own specific environment. So if you want to play in that environment and have everyone on board to play this type of tribe, this type of race, you can have a lot of fun with that. But you can have just as much fun bringing them over into another realm as long as you come up with a great story. Why are they there? Were they sent on a mission? Were they exiled? Are they explorers? Did they get lost? Are they simply hanging out? I mean, you can really do anything. And I think one of the most fun things you can do at the table is really work with your players and cooperatively come up with a why are you here and why are you doing this story. And that's where you can have a lot of fun in Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, that's one other sort of house rule thing that I've been doing the last couple of times I've run 5th edition uh, and we did it for their playtest, is that when people are filling out their traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, I ask them to keep their bonds blank, and then we are specifically making bonds to other characters. So, you know, it's basically in in your character sheet somewhere it's going to say why you are hanging out with another character. And in today's trial that we did, they end up making themselves brothers. That may not have happened if I had not put that requirement in there that they do that. It could be as simple as this guy makes me laugh. I think he's funny. Or maybe you're a, a devout uh, religious person and you had a vision that this person plays an imp- important role in some future occurrence. And it's your job to keep them safe so that they get there. So th- that's kind of an aside. But I think that's how I will prefer to use bonds going forward to use them to connect the characters together for whatever particular mission or campaign we're doing. That's definitely a great way to help build uh, role-playing opportunities and enforce party dynamic at the table. And that's something that I myself have not done in any of my own games. Uh, But since we have been playtesting our module, uh, I've seen uh, taken notes on that happening. And I think it really does create a better play experience because it gets everyone involved. It gets everyone role-playing. It gets everyone thinking like their character faster and earlier in the night's game, and that's always, always, always useful. So those were the four races uh, in the player's handbook for the elemental evil setting. I like all of them. I'm a fan of using them. Uh, I definitely want to play around with them at some point when I get to play 5th edition. I'll just touch very briefly on the fact that there were uh, a lot of 
pages of new spells in this edition, or this supplement, I should say, as well. I really liked all these spells. Obviously, they are all uh, heavily flavored towards the four core elements. There's a lot of new cantrips that are really, really useful, uh, and there's a lot of really cool spells, both uh, for elemental attacks, elemental defense, uh, using the elements, bending them to your will, using them in creative ways. Uh, these are the type of spells that, to me, make 5th edition really hackable towards other settings and genres. Uh, if you wanted to play, I don't know, a game that was inspired by a certain very popular anime where everyone uses elements and kung fu, these are the spells to do it with. And if you wanted to adapt these spells into kung fu moves and not magic, that's really easy to hack. So there's a lot of options with these new spells. I just want to play a wizard slinging around some new elemental spells as much as I want to try to use them creatively. Well, very cool. Thank you so much for giving us your take on those and putting up with my uh, interludes. As always, we will throw this back to our audience for any comments and feedback. If we sort of missed something or didn't highlight something that you think is important, uh, please let us know. Uh, you know, Twitter is probably the easiest way to get hold of us, emails, and we are still asking people to, you know, the forums are there. They're not being quite used as much as we would like. So if, if you're not opposed to that, uh, maybe start some conversation there. But uh, thank you very much for that, Caleb. And uh, we will move into our background segment where I, I've committed myself to going over an idea I had for the Barbarian Charlatan. You are free to choose a different combination, or you can play around with the one that I did as well. So I'll start with you. Or do you want to try the same one I'm doing, or do you have your own idea for a, an interesting combination? No, I think us both talking about the same uh, background class combo is a little bit more fun. Uh, we get to come up with some uh, better ideas as we riff back and forth with it. So uh, I am on board for experimenting with this combination. What I was trying to do the first time, which I thought was a, a big success and we got a lot of positive feedback on it, was to come up with what I thought was a challenging combination, one that didn't quite make sense. As if that person was, you know, three-dimensional with um, inconsistencies and flaws to make them, you know, an interesting class combination. Uh, so we did the fighter alkalite to begin with. And then I thought, what would be really difficult to come up with? And what we settled on was the barbarian charlatan. And as I have somewhat teased uh, in a couple times, what, what comes to mind for me as the barbarian charlatan is Eddie Murphy and the new Daredevil TV show. So I'll start with the Eddie Murphy. The movie I'm thinking of is Coming to America, where Eddie Murphy is the prince of this tribe. I wouldn't say he's barbarianish, but he's certainly uh, like a, a nobleman of this, I think it's an African country. But he wants to find a bride, but he doesn't want anybody to know who he is, so he adopts this lowly personality, a second identity, if you will. He puts himself in a new country, in a new situation, to see what he finds, and if he can find love. And in a lot of ways, you can think of that as maybe that's what a barbarian charlatan would be. You have, he's a, a chieftain's son or a nobleman of this sort of somewhat savage tribe. It doesn't have to be the big burly, I smash it with a hammer barbarian. It could just be someone that's more uh, like maybe a Native American concept. Uh, it could even be maybe some sort of magical effect that they are like a cursed uh, race that has this uncontrollable rage like the Hulk that they can't always control, but for whatever reason, he doesn't want people to know who he is, so he's adopted this alternate identity when he's out in the world. But of course, any good story, eventually that secret's going to surface and he will have to reveal who he is or what his abilities are. So the other side of that was the Daredevil show, and if you're paying attention, you've probably already figured out what I'm doing here, is that would be Fisk. He is a savage, savage man as we've seen in a couple of the episodes, and I won't spoil them in case you haven't seen it yet, but you should, but he's parading around as this well-to-do businessman, high-class, high-society, refined man, but there is an a seething, uncontrollable rage brimming beneath the surface, and many, many times it bubbles up, sometimes at the least opportune moments, and causes problems for him. 
So I think you could view Eddie Murphy's character in Coming to America and uh, Fisk in Daredevil as an example of what a barbarian charlatan might be. Your take on that, Caleb? Those are two really good ideas. I applaud your creativity, and I do agree with you. Those are two really cool ways to explain, justify, or flavor that background choice for that class. I do enjoy kind of redefining the class to fit the background because you think you think a very specific thing when you say uh, barbarian in Dungeons and Dragons it's it's a very classic the very tropey version of the class and it's really fun to play that version but you can also get really creative with what it means to be a barbarian and if it is a magical curse if it is an alternate uh, or secondary personality that you can't control. If it is maybe a, an item that triggers some control over you. If it's more akin to being like maybe cursed with lycanthropy or something like that. There's lots of ways that you can still play a barbarian, but flavor it a little differently to fit an interesting background or an interesting story. For me, the first thing I thought of when I approached this combination was a more urban barbarian, uh, a, a child who was abandoned and had to uh, fight for survival on the mean streets of a large metropolis-style city. Uh, and if we look backwards to Pathfinder in 3.5, uh, the barbarian class did have some alternate features where you could be an, an urban character, you know, where you grew up on the streets, where you had uh, different class abilities and skills to represent not surviving in the wild with your strength and, and rage, uh, but surviving on the streets with your strength. Uh, now, we're not talking about going that far in 5th edition. You certainly could. You can do whatever you want. Uh, but just purely looking at a charlatan, a, a deceptive person, and someone who uh, fights with the strength of his or her body and survives via that strength, that to me really screams that living on the streets, street rat kind of person. Not the Aladdin, I'm going to outsmart you character, uh, but the... I'm a scrapper, I'm going to fight, I'm going to survive, I don't care what the opposition is kind of character. And to me, you would use those uh, charlatan skills and flavor not so much to create a second personality for yourself or a second identity, but really just to eke out survival, to be a pickpocket, to be able to mix into the merchant uh, circles or the bazaar so that you can steal some food or get some new supplies. Maybe this character, since he or she is a barbarian, uh, is the protector of a little gang of street rats. Uh, maybe uh, he or she is the leader of this tribe, this little family that's been created. Maybe you're playing a race that we just mentioned that has strong ties to family, somehow left that family or was abandoned and created a new tribe. I don't know. That's just a random idea. But uh, you can do a lot of really cool things um, with the charlatan background. Um, the skills certainly don't mix with the barbarian class. There's no overlap. There's not an immediate benefit of having those skills on your character sheet. That's really all the role-playing side of things. Uh, and I think that's where this... Uh, class and background combo really shines. You're really opening yourself up to some very creative role-playing moments. And if, like Michael just talked about a little while ago, you have created your bonds at the table and you have some really strong ties to the other players and their characters, having those deceptive sleight of hand, do what it takes to survive kind of skills and flavor could really, really be rewarding in uh, in protecting your your fellow players. So the two things that came to mind as you were um, giving your examples, uh, one would be maybe you could play like a circus strongman, uh, like a traveling carnival, and you just play up the fact that you're brutish and you know low intelligence. You're like the caveman when you you know you could be normal intelligence or even high intelligence, and that's just an act. 
And that, that would qualify as a false identity. You know, you could play up as, you know, you're Harry the caveman and, you know, it's a ha-ha joke joke, but then you might actually get invited to some high society parties because of that, and that allows you to get into places, and then people think that you're dumb, you play up that you're dumb, but you're actually playing like a con. That could be an interesting thing. Or if you just go for a humorous game, you could just flat out play, you're the big barbarian who, who thinks when he puts on a different colored hat that no one notices that he's a different person. So he's constantly saying, uh, no, that's my brother, I'm Frank, but everyone knows that he's not, but he plays it off that way. That could be very funny, or that could even still be serious. Maybe that's the con that everyone knows that it's, he's not who he says he is, so the fact that they know that is what distracts them from the real person who's actually doing something, and it's like a team thing. You know, The fact that he's so bad at it is on purpose, and then they're just playing that up. Those are some really creative ways to use it as well. One of the the tropes of role-playing that I don't get to talk about very often or utilize very often, but I really do enjoy, is the whole uh, con man, grifter type character and storyline. Uh, I think you can do so many cool things uh, in that type of world where you're setting up the these grifts and long cons and trying to play everyone against each other. So if the if this charlatan barbarian is the strong man of the grifting team he could be the muscle you know he, he could be the bodyguard he could be the guy pretending to be the cop uh the law enforcement whatever you want whatever tool you have to use there i really liked how you said uh the whole circus side of things the carnival side of things that's a really great trope to exploit uh, what if everyone in your party is part of the circus and you're a traveling circus going around the countryside and you get into little scraps and adventures? Maybe the circus is all false and you're spies uh, and you've created the circus so that you can infiltrate the land that your king has sent you to learn about. Uh, maybe you are a group of thieves and you've created the circus so that you can get into the country and steal a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, the person playing the barbarian is the muscle. You know, he protects the other thieves while they're doing stuff. So that second persona, you immediately think when you see that second persona background ability, you know, that's a, a persona you put on to do a specific thing, but then you go back to being yourself, who is that class. Well, what if you reverse that? You know, what if you're the class all the time and you put on that second persona to hide who you are to uh, manipulate people around you. So you're really doing the same thing. It's just kind of a fine line of how you uh, I, I define it for terms of role playing. But you can have a lot of fun with that. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I really enjoyed this, the segments that we're doing here because it makes me kind of stretch my creative brain a little bit and uh, and try to make things work and make sense. And I'm continuing to have fun. So this is a segment we want to continue to do. So I will throw it out to the audience. Uh, what did we miss? What, what would be your suggestion? What have you done in the past with this type of character? Uh, please let us know again, normal channels, email, Facebook, Twitter, or the forums. And uh, what would you like for us to cover next? If, if we don't get any specific suggestions, we will come up with one uh, before the next episode. Uh, but if you suggest one or a couple, then we will try to hit them fairly timely. Uh, but uh, yeah, so any last words on this before we move on, Caleb? No, I, I think we've covered a lot of creative uses of this background and class, uh, but I really look forward to hearing some feedback and some other suggestions from the listeners. Absolutely. So we will move into our last segment, and tonight that is we have some additional reviews that we need to read. Uh, that We've gotten three of them that we know of. We have not had a chance to check the other countries through iTunes. Uh, I, I did, again, sign up for that service that's supposed to compile them for me, have not gotten any information yet, so it's possible I signed up incorrectly or something. But uh, So these are the ones that we know about. We've gotten, I believe, three since our last episode. I cannot thank you guys enough. That is so awesome. I love seeing that number change, and then I wait anxiously the 8 to 12 hours or so before I get to see the text pop in because I have OCD. I check all the time. Uh, but I really do enjoy getting the feedback, so thank you so much. So I will turn it over to our Crunchmaster du jour. And uh, he can read those reviews for us. Take it away, Caleb. Okay, so we have three new five-star reviews with comments here in the American iTunes. 
As always, thank you so much for taking the time to give us a rating and give us comments. As you know, uh, the more ratings and comments we have, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. So we really, really, truly appreciate the time you guys take. Uh, so to reward that time, we're going to go ahead and read these here. Uh, we have three new ones, like I said. So starting here at the bottom. Uh, this one is titled A Must for Any Tabletop Gamer by NerdBillyGM. So much awesome content. Everything from actual play to game discussions and interviews, and the cast are all amazing people. I seriously love these guys. Thank you very much, NerdBillyGM. We appreciate your kind words. Next, we have The Yardstick for RPG Podcasts from our good friend on Twitter, Mundangerous who we will be doing some things with in the very near future, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, Mundangerous says, The RPG Academy has everything you can look for in an RPG podcast. They cover multiple systems through discussion, interviews, and actual plays. They have an active and growing community around them. They have excellent editing and production, and the sound quality approaches professional podcasts. I recommend this podcast to anyone. Thank you very much, Mundangerous. And last but certainly not least, we have Keeps Getting Better from Greystorm. I really enjoy this podcast, even the hawking of their convention. I would like them to keep going. Thank you very much, Greystorm, and I promise you we will keep going and that we will not stop talking about the convention anytime soon. I certainly have a little bit of restraint there, but not Michael, so I apologize. He's not going to shut up about it. Uh, he's not even going to shut up after we do the damn thing. No. Nope. Uh, he'll be talking about it for a while. Forever. <laughs> uh, eventually that whole, hey, we're going to do a catacon, becomes, hey, we're doing a catacon, becomes, hey, we just did a catacon, becomes, hey, we're doing a catacon. He's never going to stop, guys. I've tried. I'm doing the best I can to uh, to temper this madness that he has brewing inside of him and turn this into an actual great convention. Um I'm the filter here, guys. Uh, you would not believe what uh, – uh, you probably would believe what he rambles on about off air. Um, I'm doing my best here to keep you guys uh, protected from that. But together, it's going to be an awesome show, event, well, con, Oh, whatever. absolutely. It's going to be awesome. This, this con is the embodiment of the gaming trail mix that we are. Absolutely. And with that in mind, I will pose this last question for anyone who has stayed with us this long. Um, I just got an email, literally as we were talking, from uh, one of our listeners who was talking about the con, and he asked if we would be providing any panels on our con, since we are going to have some guests, James D'Amato and Rob Schwab specifically already announced, and others in the works. My original idea was not to do any panels, because we were going to be so small. I didn't necessarily want to take up room space to do that, because I wasn't sure if people would want to do that. So, as always, I'll throw it out to you guys. If if enough of you say, yeah, we would think that a, a panel with some of those uh, people would be a good use of time and people would attend and enjoy them, then we'll look to see if we can get those on the schedule. Um, if not, we won't. But this is going to be a small enough convention. convention. Again, 200 max tickets, you're going to have a chance to sit down and just talk to some people. You know, there's going to be open time. There's going to be open gaming. So, but again, we're putting this con on for you guys. Let us know. Uh, what you want to do and what you want to see, and we will do our best to provide it. So with that, we will get out of here. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. 
You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.